Good morning, church family. It's, uh, it's great to be with you uh, again. Um, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to start off by just bragging on, uh, on you a little bit. Um, this week was one of those weeks where I'm reminded of the amazing church that I get to pastor. Uh, last week, we challenged you to step up and be a fearless church, just radically generous. And, and here's what happened this week. Not only did we continue to receive funds into our COVID-19 benevolence fund, but I heard stories and testimonies like some of you making homemade face masks and personally delivering to people in our church who've come down with COVID virus. Um, I, I've, I've heard of people dropping a food, checking in on each other. I, my family <laughs> was also blessed with, a, with a, one of our dear church members, just stopped by and just dropped off two boxes of pizza for dinner one night. Um, just amazing ways in which you are caring for each other is just an enormous blessing to me. You, you may already know this, but you, you belong to an amazing community of people. Um, I, I shared last week that, that um, a scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs a fearless church. We're living in a time of fear, anxiety, panic, and enormous need. Um, as, as weekly, we get numbers of people who are unemployed and people who are uh, losing their jobs, losing their savings. And enormous people all around us are finding themselves in tremendous, tremendous need. And it's an incredible opportunity for us to be the church, right, you guys? For, to, for us to be the church. Adversity gives birth to greatness. The greater the challenges, the greater the opportunity for the church of Jesus Christ to be the church. This is how the church and Christianity run over the Roman Empire. It wasn't because we had better buildings and better worship services. It's because of the lives of followers of Jesus were so beautiful, was so, so generous and radical that the unbelieving world took notice. And in our world right now of fear, where people are hoarding with scarcity mentality, it's an opportunity for us to step up and say, as followers of Jesus, we don't hoard. We give ourselves away. We're not going to embrace scarcity mentality because we are recipients of the most radical generosity. And so we choose to live different lives. It's a time for us to be the church. It's time for us to be the church. Last week, we looked at a couple of verses that I think was just radically uh, 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 life-transforming for us. Jesus in Luke 12, 32. By the way, open your Bibles and stay at Luke uh, 12. Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, Do not be afraid. Talked about fear, and I'm going to talk about that again today. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. The radical truth that we came around last week was this. We said that it's being a part of a kingdom community that enables us to be radically generous, right? Why? Because when you are part of a kingdom community, it's assumed, it's assumed that kingdom community will take care of you and me when we are in need. We can give radically when we see needs evident because it is assumed that the kingdom community will take care of our needs when we are in need. And we saw the beautiful picture of the first church in the book of Acts living this truth out. Uh, what I want to do this week is this, you guys. I want to continue talking about being a fearless church, but specifically I want to talk about a fearless faith. That's the title of today's sermon, A Fearless Faith. And what we're going to do actually is 
Look at, the, look at the context in which Jesus comes around and talks about Luke 12, 32. Now, in Luke 12, here's, here's what I want you to see. In Luke 12, verses 13 to 21, Jesus gives uh, or tells the parable of the rich fool where Jesus talks about the utter, utter foolish notion that we could find security in our wealth and hoarding and, 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 and so on and so forth. Then in verses 22 to 31 of Luke 12, Jesus has this long teaching on worry, on anxiety, now, interestingly enough, Matthew chapter 6, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, is almost an exact parallel text. But here's the critical part. Now, check this out, you guys. Both Luke 12, where Jesus talks about worry and anxiety, and Matthew 6, where Jesus talks about worry and anxiety, is followed by his teaching on generosity, on stewardship, on money. So, so, so the incredible truth that I want us to come around is this. It's as if Jesus knew that our ability to be radically generous was going to be intimately tied to how we handle worry and anxiety. We live in a culture that's already anxious, that was already anxious and worried before COVID-19. Uh, let's, not, let's not be naive into thinking, you guys, that all of a sudden COVID-19 and this pandemic is all of a sudden causing people that were never anxious or, or worried to be worried and anxious. No, it, it really was kind of uh, underneath a large part of our culture. And what COVID-19 has done is actually it's brought that worry anxiety that our culture's always dealt with to the forefront of our personal and corporate consciousness. And it's, 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 it's understandable. I mean, again, as I mentioned, people are losing their jobs. Businesses are closing. People, are, people that we love are getting sick and even, even losing their lives. And we're all facing an uncertain future. And worry and anxiety is everywhere wreaking havoc mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Uh, uh, how is it tied to generosity? Again, as I mentioned last week, for many of us, it's fear. And one of the most common human fears is fear of the future. Can you relate? It's a, it's a fear of the future. What do I mean? We, we live with this, well, what happens if? What, what if, as we think about the future, I lose my job? What if the support dries up? What if the economy tanks? What if we are hit with a global pandemic? And money is deeply tied to our sense of security. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I talked to a number of you as a pastor, and, and some of us, we grew up in families. And this is part of the family of origin story where, where we were almost drilled and taught that, that, that savings and money was going to keep us secure. It's our way of retaining control in a world that seems out of control. But man, the biggest savings account in the world, you guys can't stop illness, cancer, traffic accidents, divorce, or pandemic. Money can't buy you security. Money can't buy me. It's just an illusion. It's just an illusion. It's not, it's not a sin to plan for the future. It's not a, a sin to be concerned for the future. But man, you're not going to find peace by trying to figure out the future. It's found, peace is found in putting our trust in the one who holds the future in his hands. So what do we do as followers of Jesus in this massive, massive topic of worry, anxiety that all of us, that all of us could some ways relate to? 
Uh, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, this is what it says. Worry weighs a person down, but a good word cheers a person up. A good word cheers a person up. And I, I, I want to share with you today that Jesus, not me, Jesus has a good word for you and me this morning as we think about what do we do with worry and anxiety. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach out of Matthew's version of this text in which Jesus talks about worry and anxiety, okay? Matthew's version. Matthew chapter 6 is where Jesus teaches on worry and anxiety and what it has to do with how we go about living our lives. So Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to pick up verse 25, okay? So here we go. Matthew 6, 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now, now check this out. That, that's a command. That's a command. But how do you read that? Do you read that as Jesus, the, the drill surgeon coming to you and me going, what are you worried about? Oh, you of little faith, pick yourself up and get, is that how you and I read it? No, no, no. This is Jesus when he says, do not worry. A caring physician coming to you and me and saying, let me do some spiritual surgery to get to the root issue of why you worry and why you're anxious. He comes to you tenderly and he says, don't worry about what you will eat and what you'll drink or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes? Now, you guys, food, water, and clothes, those, those, those aren't frivolous things. If you're going to worry about things, they'd be at the top of the list, right? I mean, this isn't like don't worry about how many likes you have on Facebook. It isn't like, don't worry about how many Instagram followers you have. Don't worry about what car you drive. And he's saying, don't be anxious about these basic things. Why? Please listen. He says, your life is so much more than even these basic things. Uh, another way, your life is so much more than anything that this world has to offer. And he comes and gives a much-needed perspective. Why? Think about all the things that you and I are tempted to worry about and put them into the sentence. It's not life so much more than what other people think of you. And yet we live as if life is all about what people think of us. It's not life more than what school you get into. It's not life more than what job you have. It's not life so much more than how much money you make. It's not life so much more than marrying and having kids. It's not life so much more than what happens in the sports world. It's not life so much more than what you and I live for. Look, I have had this ringing truth in my, in my head, and it's the truth that says, Peter, don't waste COVID-19 pandemic. Don't waste. What do I mean? There's something about what we're going through that brings a level of clarity and perspective, and it causes me to ask this question, what am I living for? And isn't life so much more than what I'm living for? What are you living for? Career, money, relationships, degrees, people's approval? It's not life so much more than. Then Jesus goes on, verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds 
them, are you not so much more valuable than they? The words look at literally in the Greek has a stronger sense of consider, ponder, or, or, or think on. What do you think faith is? What do you think faith is? You think faith is absence of thinking? I mean, some of us kind of grew up with this notion of, you know, well, faith is this. Faith is, well, it doesn't even make any sense, but you know, you just have to believe. Is that what you think faith is? Jesus says faith is thinking, it's pondering, it's considering. Worry is the absence of thinking and pondering. How do you have peace in the middle of a pandemic? Jesus says, think with me, ponder with me on the fact that there are no worried birds right now. Who knew that the antidote to anxiety was bird watching? You guys, you know what I did this week? I went for a walk. I went for a walk at a park nearby. And I saw birds, tons of birds out there. You know what I didn't see? I didn't see any bird frantically watching CNN. I didn't watch any birds frantically paying attention to 24-hour news feeds. You know why? Because birds know that God will provide for them. And Jesus' point is, if they know that God will provide for them, then you can know that God will provide for you. Why? Because you are so much more valuable than they. You are God's prized possession. Do you believe that God will provide for you? The doctrine of providence of God literally has the word provide in it. When we say God is providential, we're saying God is my provider. How do I know? How can I trust him? As Paul says in Romans 8.32, if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything that he wouldn't gladly and freely do for you? Jesus says, you can know that God will provide for you because he cares for you. You're so much more valuable. You're my prized creation that I gave everything for. And he picks up verse 27. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And Jesus here, it gets to the root issue. Now, I mean, I mean Jesus goes there, so I'm going to go there. We're gonna, this is, this, is, this is spiritual surgery right here. Psalm 139, 16 says this. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was ordained by you. Question, church family. Who alone has the power to determine how many hours and how many days you and I have on earth? Answer? God does. Question then why do we try and add a single hour to our lives? Answer, because we want the power that God has. We want to believe that we can add time to our lives, just like we want to believe that it's us that provides for our needs but deep down inside and i talk about this all the time you and i know we're not qualified for the job we're not and so what does that do it causes deep sense of insecurity and how do we respond to this deep sense of insecurity we try and exert 
control. 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 Stephen Smith, I'm um, Stephen Taylor, sorry, wrote a book called The Psychology of Pandemics. And he gives an explanation to why people were so slow to respond to COVID-19. In it, he talks about something called unrealistic optimism bias. What is that? It's a tendency to underplay threats and to see yourself as being more impervious than the average person. He's making the point. People want to feel like they're in control of their lives. This bias, he goes on to say, allows people to go about their daily lives without experiencing anxiety. It gets us away from being consumed with the existential dread of fearing for our lives. Control. And not just responding to a pandemic. When Jesus said, why do you worry when your Father in heaven knows exactly what you need? Do you know why you and I worry? Come on, let's talk to each other. We worry because we go, I know what needs to happen. I know what my needs are. I know the timetable in which all these things didn't happen, God, and I'm not sure that you're going to get it right. I'm not sure that you're going to come through. I'm not sure that you're going to be able to do what I think needs to be done. And worry is a refusal to give him kingship. It's one, it's one of Jenny's favorite sayings to me is, Peter, stop trying to be the Holy Ghost. Just stop trying to be the Holy Spirit. Why are you trying to be in charge of something, trying to be king of something that you have no control over? Interestingly, we spend so much time trying to be kings of areas we have no control over, and then we abdicate. We abdicate certain areas of our lives where we actually need to be in control over. Isn't that interesting? Take yourself out of God's chair. Get used to saying, I don't know. I'd like to see certain things happen, but I don't know what's best. And the more you say it, the more you and I get out of God's chair, the more worry becomes manageable. If this COVID-19 has shown us anything, he said, You're not, we're not in control of anything. We are people of profound illusion about control. And if it wasn't for pain, if it wasn't for suffering, I don't think we'd ever come to this illusion being dispelled and realizing that we're fragile, that we're finite, and we're limited creatures. And it's only when something is taken out of our hands. It's only when things that made us strong, like our job or health, some part of our life that gave us safety and comfort and joy, when we feel like those things are, we're losing control over those things. It is only during those times that by God's grace, you and I come to realize this truth. It's not until we lose control that we realize we never had control in the first place. It's losses and troubles that breaks you and me out of this illusion. And when it does, you can respond in one of two ways. I said this before, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. You and, either, you and I could either get harder when we seem to lose control or we can get softer, tender. You and I can say, I, I should have control of my life. I deserve to have control of my life. Why am I not in control of my life and get harder? Or we could submit, yield, and surrender, become tender and saying, God, what makes me think I should be in control? 
What makes me think that I could sit in your chair? What makes me think that I ought to know what's best for me? I'm not creator. I'm just a creature. I'm not infinite. I'm finite. You have a choice. I have a choice. We could either allow this season to harden us or deepen us, soften us, mature us, grow us. And then he goes on, verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus says this. He says God provides the kind of care, this kind of care for something that will literally last a day. Think about that. Jesus says, God provides this kind of care for something that will literally last a day. Are you not more valuable than they? Why? Because you and I weren't created for a day. You and I were created for all of eternity. Jesus is saying, why are you worried about what you'll wear when God is going to dress you someday in eternal glory? Why are you worried about your paycheck when one day God is going to give you the universe as an inheritance? Why are you worried about your position at work when you and I are going to rule and reign with him for all of eternity? Can I get an amen? Jesus, think. You know that he loves you more than you could imagine. You know that he knows the number of hairs on your head. You know you know how many tears have come down your cheeks. You know that. You know that if he didn't spare his one and only son and yet was willing to give you all things, then how is he going to fail to give you anything else that you and I need? You know what worry is? Worry is essentially you and I sending a daily text to God saying, God, you opened all of heaven. You emptied all of heaven, your greatest treasure for me. You gave all of it for me, but I'm I'm not sure if you know what my next week is like. Does that even make any sense? Think, ponder, Jesus says. And verse 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things. Jesus just straight up says, worry is a sign of unbelief. Sign of unbelief. If you don't know that God is in control right now and values you as his own, as his prized creation, then you and I have a lot to worry about. If you don't know God as your heavenly father, you have a lot to be anxious about. But if you know the one who controls the universe, you know the one who is good and kind, compassionate and merciful, you don't, know, you don't just know about him, but you know him as your father in heaven. If God is your dad, and you're his son, you're his daughter. If you know these things and you have no reason to be worried, none. And your heavenly father, he says, he knows that you need all these things. Verse 33, so seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says your heavenly father knows what you need right now, even better than you know. God knows what you and I need even better than we know what we need. I'm telling you right now, God isn't up there in heaven going, I, 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 I wonder what Peter needs right now. God not up in heaven saying, I, I wonder what he, 
It's up in heaven saying, I know exactly what he needs. And he says, when you seek my kingdom first, all of these things will be given to you as well. That's a promise. God not only knows our needs, he says, I am the one who is able to supply all your needs. The one who possesses everything. And we're not talking about Amazon. I know we thought Amazon possessed everything, right? Until you try to get Clorox wipes and hand sanitizers. And all of a sudden you realize Amazon doesn't possess everything. I'm telling you the good news. The supply line with God is always full. Can I get an amen? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You don't have to worry about your father running out of strength when you feel weak. You don't have to worry about him running out of courage when you're afraid. And he'll never run out of hope when you're hurting. He'll never run out of life when you're dying. Every moment your father knows what you need. So how do we seek first his kingdom? How do we seek first his kingdom, Jesus says? Do you know, do you know that word worry and anxious is found in another text? And that text is a story of Mary and Martha. Do you remember? Mary and Martha invite Jesus into their home. And Jesus is in their home. And we see Sister Martha running around busy. And the Bible says she's anxious. It's the same word as the word Jesus used here. She's anxious. And Jesus literally says actually to Martha, Martha, you're anxious about many things. You're worried about many things. Same word, Matthew 6. He says one thing is necessary. Mary has found it. Sit at my feet. Do you know what it means to seek first his kingdom? It means to sit at his feet and make Jesus your center. Make him your center. If Jesus is your center, I am telling you, you could deal with worry and anxiety. But if Jesus is not your center and your career is center, relationships are your center, material comfort is your center, marriage is your center, children are your center, if anything else is your center, if anything is more important than Christ, then you and I have a ton to be anxious about. Why? What happens if your career is your center and your career blows up? What happened if, if your children are your center and they turn out in ways that you didn't want them to? What happens when you put anything else as your center and something else happens in that area? Jesus says, make me your center. Don't build your life on anything else but me. Seek me first. Your fears, my fears, are like breadcrumbs. Follow them and you'll find the house of the wicked witch. It's one thing to believe in Jesus, another thing to make him your trust, your hope, your identity, your significance, your all. Is Jesus your center? Is he your hope? Is your significance? What is it? It's not life more than what is your life. And I want to end with this verse 34, my favorite verse actually out of this entire text, and you'll see why. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Today, today has enough trouble of its own. Now this section immediately follows Jesus' teaching, Sermon on the Mount, on the Lord's Prayer. And in it, he teaches us to pray. What? Give us today our daily bread. Give us provision today for our needs today. And every Jew would have hearkened back to the Old Testament, Exodus 16. In Exodus 16, the Israelites having come out of Egypt, 
<laughs> I complain to God, and they're saying stuff like, we sat around pots of meat, and all the, we ate all the food we wanted. We ate all the food we wanted. Now, Moses, you brought us off only to die of starvation here in the desert. And God, in mercy and grace, verse 4, Exodus 16 says, he says to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Ugh. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And interestingly enough, if they gathered more than what they needed for that day, do you remember what happened? It turned into maggots. It rotted. What was God's message? I am your provider. I am your provision, not you. This isn't by the power of your hand. It's the power, by the power of my hands. You're not responsible for your provision. You never have. You've never been responsible for your provision. Get out of that illusion delusion. God says, I have always been responsible for your provision. And why daily, by the way? Why does God do this daily and not weekly? Here's the reason why. If God did this weekly, we would forget about him all the other days. So he says, every single day, every single moment, I need you to know it's me. I don't know what tomorrow holds. And that can cause a ton of anxiety. But I tell you this good news. His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. That means that God gives me mercy today to meet today's burdens. Mercies God gives today are not designed to carry the burdens that may come tomorrow. If new troubles come tomorrow, God says, I will give you mercies for tomorrow's troubles. Don't deal with tomorrow's problems with today's strength. Let me say that again. Don't deal with tomorrow's problems with today's strength. Today has enough trouble of its own. So what do you need? What do I need today? Because today, God will give you provision for today's needs. Today, God will give you peace for today's problems. Today, God will give you hope for today's despair. Today, God will give you light for today's darkness. Today, God will give you comfort for today's pain. Today, God will give you strength for today's weaknesses. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Another way to say it, my unknown future is in the hands of an all-knowing God. And he loves me. And he is for me. And he promises that all things will work together for good for those who love him. And that's not a promise for a life of ease and comfort because God is way more concerned about my transformation than he is about my comfort. So rather than giving us what we want, God promises I will give you what we need at just the right time in just the right way at just the right proportions to change us, to make us more like him. Isn't that good news? That is good news. You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to replace worry with worship. Say that with me. Worry with worship. Someone once said, worry and worship can't coexist. 
One that will override the other. So choose worship over worry. And I can just see, 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 wherever you are going, hey, amen, choose worship over worry. That means shift our focus from what if to what is. What is? And here's what is true about my heavenly Father. His name is above every name. He is the soon returning, conquering King of kings and Lord of lords. He is my rock. He is my sustainer. He is my Jehovah Jireh. He is my firm foundation. He is my shelter in time of need. He is our light in darkness. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the resurrection and the life. I choose worship over worry. His goodness is indescribable. His power is indestructible. And His grace is irresistible. His name, every darkness trembles. In His presence, demons flee. Death couldn't hold Him. The grave couldn't hold Him. He is the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. His timing is perfect, and so is His track record. God is faithful. That's who he is. He can be trusted. He is in control. Choose worship over worry. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him for he cares for you. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. Do not, do not choose worry over worship. The beginning of worry is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of worry. Feed your faith, and your worry will starve. Your fear will starve. Feed your fear, feed your worry, and your faith will starve. Choose faith, choose trust, choose hope. I mean, just end with this incredible, timely email story. This is from Heidi Labs, and she literally sent this today, today. She had no idea what I was going to preach on. This is what she says. We recently discovered a great bread recipe. It's super easy, and when I make it in the house, it fills the house with smells of freshly cooked bread. Savoring a warm slice of bread is quickly becoming one of my favorite comfort foods. The only problem is that I'm having trouble finding flour at the grocery stores. Every time I grocery shop, limiting it to once a week, I look for flour. Every time that I check the bread aisle, there is no bread to be found, and my heart drops. It is a stark reminder that such a basic necessity is no longer easy accessible to me and my family. Something I've never had to think twice about having access to is no longer a given. After a particularly discouraging trip to the grocery store, I came home and I told my husband, Josh, that we'll just have to trust God that when we need the flour or any other items, He will provide them for us. The sustainer of life will continue to sustain us. We will walk in trust that he'll provide for our needs. We will not hoard our other food or flour or household items. When our flour was getting low, I went to the grocery store. Target was out, and I went to Aldi, and there was one bag of flour left on the shelf for me. God, the sustainer of life, provides for me. Church, wherever you are, will you close your eyes and will you pray with me? I, I, I don't know where you are and the exact situation you find yourself in, but your Heavenly Father 
who cares for you and loves you does. He knows exactly where you are, what you need. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? What are you fearful of? His invitation is not to be in denial about it, not to minimize it. No, name it. Name that worry. Name that fear. Name that anxiety. God, I'm worried about the future. God, I'm anxious about our finances. God, I am worried about my children. God, I am anxious about the future. Name it. And he says, now bring it to me. So right where you are in this time, name that fear, name that anxiety, and bring it before the Lord. Cast it before the Lord. Bring it to the foot of the cross. And if you're like me, imagine whatever that weight is, whatever that worry is, and I imagine it in my hands, and I physically walk up to the foot of the cross, and I'm laying it there. I'm laying it there. And then pray and saying, Lord, I give it to you. Take it, God. 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 And as you continue to pray, may I, may I lead some of you, may I lead some of you. Because it's not just about letting go of anxiety and worry, but it's about recognizing that a big part of why we worry is we're trying to control things we can't control. We're trying to manage things we can't manage. In other words, we are trying to sit on the throne. Will you just take a moment right now to say, God, I'm tired of trying to rule and reign over my own kingdom. I'm going to let you be king. I'll let you be Lord. God, I, I want you to take your rightful place in my life that is on the throne. Right now, if you are someone who've tried to hold control and trying to, trying to be God, just release and surrender and say, God, God, I just not only confess, but I acknowledge God and I, I intentionally, consciously say, God, will you sit on the throne? I submit, I surrender. You're creator, I'm creature. You're infinite, I'm finite. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And lastly, whatever needs you have right now, will you lift it up before the Lord? Jesus does in this very same passage. He says, ask and you shall receive, right? Knock and the door shall be opened, okay? Seek and you will find. So he knows your need, your heavenly Father. So bring it to him. Bring it to him. What are your needs? And trust that your heavenly father will be able to provide exactly what you need at exactly the right time and the exact right amount to care for you. Lift it up before the Lord. Lift it up before the Lord. And Lord, as I pray, I sense the Spirit, God, Spirit calling my heart to pray for the following. Father, I pray, I pray that, that, that you provide finances for those that are in need of financial help.
help. I pray that you would provide health to those, God, that are sick and need of healing and restoration, God. I pray, God, that you provide, God, all the things that your children, your sons and daughters need right now, Lord. Help us to bring our anxieties, name them and bring them before you, knowing that you care for us, knowing that you love us, knowing that you are for us and not against us, Lord. So, Father, I lift up every single one of these needs that you know way better than I do. And I pray our sustainer, our Lord, our provision, our Father, will you, Lord, will you, God, in your tender mercies, care for and provide needs. Pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.